This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. There's nothing whatsoever the matter with me. I'm just as healthy as I can be. I have arthritis writeth in both knees, and I, when I talk, I talk with a wheeze. My pulse is weak and my blood is thin, but I'm awfully well for the shape I'm in. I think my liver's out of whack, and uh, a terrible pain in my back. My hearing's poor, my sight is dim, most everything seems to be out of trim. But I'm awfully well for the shape I'm in. When I was young, my slippers were red, I could kick my heels up over my head. When I grew older, my slippers were blue, but I could still dance the whole night through. I don't dance. <laughs> now I'm older, my slippers are black. I walk to the corner and I puff my way back. <laughs> the reason I know my youth has been spent, uh, my get up and go got up and went. But I really don't mind when I think with a grin of all the grand places my get up has been. I have, I, have, I have arch supports in both feet or I wouldn't be able to go out on the street. Sleeplessness I have night after night and in the morning I'm really a sight. My memory's failing, my head's in a spin. I'm, particular, I, I'm, uh, I'm particularly, I'm practically living on aspirin, but I'm not complaining cause through thick and thin, I thank, my, I thank the good Lord that he's let me live to be in the shape I'm in. Old age is golden, I've heard it said, but sometimes I wonder as I go to bed, my ears in the drawer, my teeth in a cup, my eyes on the shelf until I get up. <laughs> I get up each morning, thank God for my wits. Pick up the paper and read the obits. My name's not there, I know I'm not dead. <laughs> so I have a great day and go back to bed. <laughs> the moral is, as this tale unfolds, for you and me who are growing old, it's better to say I'm fine with a grin then let the world know the shape we're in. <laughs> That's courtesy of Mary Lynn. She gave me that last Sunday. and uh, She found that among Mary White's uh, belongings and thought it might be interesting to the class. Kind of describes us, doesn't it? All right, uh, we're talking about <clears throat> um, tricks of the mind today. This is the second part of the lesson, Trends of the Body and Tricks of the Mind, uh, we started last week. So I trust you brought your notes back with you today. We do have some extras for those of you who maybe forgot to bring them back or maybe weren't here last week. Does everybody have one of the handouts? If not, then we can get those to you, okay? Very good. Tricks of the Mind. Let's have a word of prayer. Uh, Father God, we do thank you that you have made us that we're fearfully and wondrously made of you. And Lord, we just rejoice that you have brought us to this stage of life. Uh, all of us in this class, Lord, have reached a, uh, an older age in life. And we trust God that, uh, that through the course of the various events of life, that we've grown wiser as we've grown older. Surely, Lord, I trust that we've grown to love you more. 
And I pray, Father, that may be uh, our, the daily uh, reaction, Lord, to everything we do, that we would grow closer to thyself. Reveal yourself to us, Lord, even more and more. Some of God, has, some of us, God, have reached the age where probably we may only have a few more years here on earth. And uh, uh, with that in mind, God, we're looking forward to being in your presence. And uh, I just pray, God, today that as we continue this study of aging, uh, that you'll help us, Lord, to learn to cope with it and uh, to meet the challenges that it presents before us. But I pray, God, that you'll help us to learn to trust you in everything of life. God, may we trust you more. May we find you more precious, more dear, uh, closer, trusting more upon your promises uh, from the fact, God, that you've told us that you'll never leave us nor forsake us, uh, but you will comfort and strengthen us and guide us. And Lord, I pray that through uh, this veil of tears that sometimes we experience, these aches and pains of our life, God, that you will help us to realize that it's all in your plan. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for making us what we are. And I pray that you will help us to make the most of it. We ask this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. I was talking with uh, some people out in the foyer this morning and and I made this statement and <clears throat> and uh, they kind of said amen to it. This has been a very profitable study for me. Um, I have uh, I have to give thanks to God leading my wife uh, directing my life my wife to this study so we can so we can have it. But I have never heard. Uh, a preacher preach this information that we have from the pulpit before or heard it taught in a Sunday school class. But it dawns on me that as I study and prepare for these lessons each week that I think this is something that not only our age group needs, but I think it's something that the younger group needs as well so that they can adequately prepare. I don't know about you, but this has been helpful to me in the sense that uh, it's, it's made me realize more that I am what God has made me. I am in the stage of life where God has intended me to be. And uh, though, you know, uh, we have those aches and pains that that poem uh, took us through. And we have all those situations of life. But you know what? This is an exciting period of time. This is an exciting station of life. I mean, many of us here in this class today, uh, we're only a few years, maybe even a few hours, who knows, from being with Jesus. That should excite us and thrill our hearts that someday, uh, Jerry, uh, God may put you, may, God may let you go live with, uh, uh, with um, what was your husband's name? <laughs> Pete. Very soon, you know, you never know. Yes. You know. I know you are. I know you are. But the joyous thing of that, not only being with Pete again, is you're going to be with your Savior. That's right. And uh, so am I, and you, Judy. And, uh, you know, so we're in a wonderful state of life. We might as well enjoy it, laugh about it a little bit, you know. 
Enjoy your aches and pains. <laughs> I'm glad some of you can laugh at that. And uh, some of you are laughing on the inside and hurting on the outside, you know. <laughs> but uh, 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 I thank God for, for, this, for this study. It's been very helpful to me. It's given me a new uh, perspective of life, a new appreciation for where I am, and a new appreciation for the fact that it takes me a while to stand up in the morning when I get out of bed. At least I can stand up. I can still stand up, you know. Well, the tricks of the mind. We had the trends of the body last week. But you know, the devil plays tricks on our mind. And we need to be aware of that. There are three modes. Um, this is, um, okay, Mary Lynn's caught up to us on the, the slides. But there are three modes of the mind that are frequently found in elderly people. And uh, not always. They're not always there. Thank God for that. But they're closely related. And uh, the tri this trilogy, trilogy of moods is this. Discouragement, depression, and despair. I hope there are none of us here in class today that are experiencing any of these moods. But the truth is we're very subject to them. We are, especially at our age. And uh, we could become susceptible and, and could cave in to them. And uh, because of the fall, I, I'm, glad, I'm glad I said that early on in this series of lessons, that we are what we are today. We experience the pains and the aches and the trials of life that we experience today because of Adam and Eve and the fall. And uh, that didn't take God by surprise, by the way. God knew it would happen, and he even prepared for it from the foundation of the world. And uh, so he, uh, it didn't surprise God that his, crea his created beings would, would disappoint him. And uh, we've been disappointing him ever since. Uh, they disappointed him. But because of the fall, we are very vulnerable to the attacks of Satan. He's the, the accuser of the brethren. And he creeps around looking for opportunities to steal away our joy and, uh, and steal away our usefulness for the Lord. Uh, if he can convince you, um, <clears throat> those of you, well, I won't say those, all of us. If he can convince us that we no longer can be used of God, he's defeated us. Uh, we've fallen to his, uh, to his uh, whims. And uh, the truth is that God has left us here. I don't, care, I don't care how much longer he leaves you here, Cherry, or Ron, or anybody else of any age in this class. It doesn't make any difference how long God allows us to stay here. Our times are in his hands. He's leaving us here for a purpose. And we better find out what that purpose is and take good advantage of it. Hear me. We need to understand that God has left us here. You say, Pastor, it's so, it hurts. I know it does. And I empathize with you. God knows it hurts too. But he still has you here for a purpose. He's not done with us yet. And don't forget that.
The tricks he plays on our minds are sometimes very effective in accomplishing his purpose, that is Satan's purpose. So we have to be aware of his devices. So letter A, the give up syndrome. The give up syndrome. When any one of these moods in this trilogy of problems is present, there's probably no other factor that's more obvious than the sense of, de of dejection that stems from an attitude of giving up. Well, it's just, let's just quit. And, uh, and I've mentioned this in previous lessons as well, but let me just say it again. Sometimes we take on the attitude, you know, well, I've, you know, I've been at this a long time. I'm just going to sit back and let the younger ones do it. Well, there's a, there's a little truth to that. You know, we can, we can let the younger ones. In fact, by the way, we need to train the younger ones to do what we've been doing. Uh, allow our, allow our uh, expertise, uh, uh, what we've learned over the course of these years, to be passed on down to another generation so that they can do it too, effectively. And a lot of what we've learned to do throughout the course of our lives is uh, we've, we, we've, uh, we've done it by trial, we've learned it by trial and error. We tried something, found out it didn't work, so we tried something else until we found out what works. And our generation's gonna have to do the same thing, but the truth is it would help them an awful lot if we could help them to understand some of the pitfalls that we've fell, fallen into so that they don't have to do that, you know. But anyway, give up. That's, uh, that's, the, uh, that's the mode of the day. That's the thought of the day. Well, to help a person like that, we need to determine which of these underlying problems that I mentioned, discouragement, depression, and despair, which one of these problems uh, is behind that attitude. And so we've listed them here and, and uh, given some information that may help us to determine if, if we are approaching this or if we've been involved or if we know somebody that's like this. And I think as we read through this material, uh, you'll think of somebody that you know has experienced this. In fact, um, I know of somebody right now that's gone through a period of depression and I'm going to use that as an illustration here in just a minute. But anyway, let's look at the first one, discouragement. Discouragement, down but not out. And the difference between discouragement and despair is a large, there's a large uh, gap between these two. Um, uh, the active ingredient that works in both of these, however, is, is about the same, and that, and that is... Uh, a discouraged person is usually disappointed that something he desired has not happened. Or, on the other hand, something that he didn't want to happen has happened. Uh, that's what the discouragement is all about, mostly. Uh, he's in a down mood, but he hasn't given up yet. And if you've ever been discouraged, I have. There have been times when I've gone through discouragement. And probably all of us here at one time or another, even in younger years of our life, we've gone through periods of discouragement. And we found ourselves down, but we weren't out. And that makes a difference. 
Down but not out. Um, he hasn't given up yet. He may have lost hope of ever seeing the desired event occur. For example, maybe a prodigal child coming home or a perplexing matter being resolved or an illness uh, being successfully treated and uh, has been disappointed that, those have, that that hasn't taken place. But he's still functioning. He's not given up on life. He's dejected, but he's not defeated. He's down, but he's not out. But then on the other hand, there's depression, out. When a person gets depressed, they're out. A depressed, a depressed person, however, uh, has given up on life. He says, what's the use? Why try anymore? There's no more hope for me. People would be better off without me. The word can't dominates his thoughts and his speech. He's, uh, he's ceased functioning in a meaningful way. He no longer does daily chores and, and has less and less, uh, he less and less assumes other responsibilities. He doesn't find pleasure even to things that once just brought him joy. He's gloomy, he's sullen, sullen. And uh, he may even contemplate suicide. You know anybody like that? Um, I'm referring to a lady that uh, Jan and I came in contact with a few years ago, not, not in this area, another area, not a, and certainly not in this church. But she had a stroke. And uh, when she recovered, in a sense, from the stroke, and she, she recovered pretty well, she was depressed. Uh, she wouldn't do anything. She wouldn't get out of bed. She wouldn't come to church anymore. Um, she, she didn't enjoy life. She and her husband used to ride a motorcycle. And they loved to go on motorcycle trips. They had a group of Christians that uh, had, had a group uh, as motorcyclists. And, uh, and uh, in fact, my niece and her husband were in that group. She didn't want to ride a motorcycle anymore. She loved it. In fact, the motorcycle that, that her husband had she gave it to him as a Christmas present a couple years from that. It was, a, it was a fantastic machine. But she didn't want anything to do with it anymore. And uh, I talked with her husband recently about a month or two ago and asked him how she was doing. And, and he says, well, she's doing better, but she's about the same. And um, she had just given up on life. She says, the world's better off without me anymore. Depressed. And that's a sad thing. And then the third one is uh, desperation. When a person gets desperate, they're frantic. Frantic. A person in despair is virtually pulling out their hair over something they consider to be a tragic, tragic matter. Uh, they not only are hopeless, but are, they are in desperate straits over the situation. Anger and frantic emotion, frantic emotions may... Um, may, uh, may be connected to what they do and say. And uh, in, this, uh, uh, in this agitated state, they may be extremely irritable and sometimes irrational. Uh, they may be unpleasant, even to the extreme. And maybe you know somebody like that. They're desperate, frantic. And so just to kind of summarize those three things, 
in each of these persons, uh, in each of these cases, the persons have given up, at least in part. And uh, in his heart, there's no longer a hope of attaining some of the end that, uh, that, he once, that, that, meant, that once meant a great deal to him. And because of the losses, these losses that we talked about in earlier lessons, particularly the first lesson we had, we went over the losses of, of uh, aging. Older people are, are frequently tempted to give up. And many do. And uh, this particularly is true of those who have hitched their, their wagon to a falling star, those who, who, who have failed to achieve attainable goals because of their own irresponsibility. Sometimes people go through life and they're irresponsible in life. And they get a little older and look back upon their irresponsibility and say, you know, I failed. Um, I could have raised my kids better. Uh, I could have treated my employees better. Uh, I could have been more faithful at this. And, and they, they kind of go back over life, you know, and begin to uh, begin to um, get uh, depressed about uh, what they could have done and didn't do. Well, I'm sure that all of us wish that we could go back and correct some things that we've done wrong. Uh, some word maybe we spoke and shouldn't have or some deed we did and shouldn't have or something we left undone that should have been done. We, we, we all have those things in our past. Maybe that's the reason why Paul says forgetting those things which are behind and press forward to the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You know, that verse fits in a lot of circumstances, a lot of situations. There are some things we just have to forget, leave behind us, because there's no way we can correct them anyway. Uh, so why cry over spilled milk? Uh, move on. And that's the best way to, that's the best way to resolve these difficulties that we find. As a matter of fact, uh, you'll notice there that, uh, no, it's not here, it's a little later on. Anyway, I'll get to it. But anyway, we failed and achieved to attain, uh, to attain goals because of our own responsibility. And those who recognize that life, along with everything else, everything in the whole dear, is quickly slipping away. And so that brings us to letter B, the devastated spirit. These, uh, this trilogy of things that I mentioned, discouragement, depression, and despair, they can be devastating. And they often are devastating. So not only are they prime causes of the immobility of, el of the elderly, uh, but, but may, may also even bring on early death because of the will to live has vanished. You remember the illustration I used of the lady, uh, used a couple weeks ago, of the lady that um, she retired from work and very productive life and just threw up her hands, went to bed and died. Remember that illustration? Now it took her a little while to die, but, but she did. Uh, she just didn't want to live in it. She gave, just, uh, had disappeared. And that's bad. That's bad because there's so much more ahead of us that we can accomplish and, and we can do and, and God, that God wants us to do. For instance, the death of a loved one on whom they depended too heavily 
uh, may lead to their soon death. How often have we attended funerals of a husband and wife who died within a few months of each other? I've seen that happen, and probably you have too. Why? Because one spouse dies and the other one's depending so much upon that spouse that they, <clears throat> they felt that they, everything was useless now. And so they died too. And uh, you say, well, wasn't that circumstantial? Probably. But they brought the circumstances on, you see. And so uh, the loss was one that the other didn't attempt to find a way to replace in some way. That's an important statement. And I got to thinking about that and I added something to my notes that you don't have in your notes. Let me read to you what I added as a footnote right there. Let me read that again and then let me read the footnote to you. Um, the loss was one that the other did not attempt to find a way to replace in some way. And here's what I wrote. The development of new or closer relationships with family members and or friends should not be looked upon as a betrayal of the loved one who passed away. In fact, it should be encouraged. The surviving spouse could, and in a parenthesis perhaps should, consider remarriage in due time. Remarriage in such cases is not an act of showing dishonor or disloyalty to the deceased spouse. And uh, I'm looking at several of you here in this class today that you've lost your spouse. They've gone on to be with the Lord. And, uh, and, and I'm looking at some who have remarried and some who may be considering it and some who haven't considered it because you may think that, well, if I, if I, if I remarry, uh, Maybe people will think I'm disloyal to my husband or my wife whom I love so much. It's not an act of disloyalty. It's a normal thing. In fact, I go on here and say, it's, it's normal for a spouse to deeply sorrow over the departure of his, life, of his life's companion. But realizing that death is a normal part of life should help the survivor to rest in Jesus' care move on to the next stage of life. And uh, there's nothing wrong with a spouse. You say, well, how long should I wait? Well, that's uh, whatever feels comfortable, I'd say, with you, you know. But never consider uh, somebody who remarries after they lose their spouse uh, to be disloyal to the spouse that God gave them to begin with. That should, never, that should never be a, a, a motivation for not moving on to the next stage of life, you see. Such persons need counsel that points them to Jesus Christ as more important than, than any human being. Furthermore, a person who has wasted away opportunities, time and resources, and who now finds himself physically unable to achieve what he might have done earlier, may pine away in a depressed state for the remainder of his life if he does not deal with that, first of all, by repenting of his lack, of his failure, and engaging in some satisfying new service for Christ. 
Remember that verse I quoted? Paul says, forgetting those things which are behind, press on, move on. There are things ahead that God has for us that we can still accomplish. Move on, you know. Um, by God's grace, he can make up the years that the locusts have eaten. And by, remember, by, by remembering that where sin abounded, grace abounds much more. The best way to climb out of depression is to begin fulfilling duties and chores that were left undone. Go back and if you can redo something, if you can, if you can continue to do something, if you, if you can do something that you've left undone and you have an opportunity still to do it, do it. You know? Let God use you. Let God use you. God still has you here for a reason. Now, a letter C. Other extenuating circumstances. There are other factors that may lead to giving up. For instance, take the person who's lost, lost his help through a tragic accident that will leave him uh, with the inability to walk again, but who fails to compensate by learning to utilize his remaining abilities. We may lose an ability, but we still have abilities. Anybody here remember Virginia Tribble? She was a member of our church in Hopewell, but she's been here. In fact, she played the piano for us one time and, and she spoke to the ladies. Well, anybody remember her, Virginia? She's blind. She was blind. She's with the Lord now. Yeah, several of you. And her husband, uh, Ed Tribble. Virginia lost her eyesight when she was a teenager. I think she was a teenager, wasn't she, when she lost her eyesight? But she knew, she knew she was losing it. You know what she did? She could play the piano. So she virtually memorized the hymn book. And she was one of the best pianists we had in our church. I'd tease her. Uh, on Wednesday nights, I led the singing for our prayer meeting, and I would announce the page number of the hymn. Turn to page 332. We'll sing the first and last stanzas. Virginia's sitting there at the piano. Didn't say anything. And I'd say, Virginia's page 233. Oh, pastor. <laughs> I could hear her saying that now. Oh, pastor. And so I'd have to tell her the, the title of the hymn. And she'd start playing it. She'd play it in the key that it's written in. And she played it well. And uh, she wanted to play for the... She wanted to play for the choir one time. <laughs> and I knew that wouldn't work, so <clears throat> I, uh, I convinced her that that wasn't the thing to do. She wanted to play the organ. My wife played the organ. We had a nice uh, Allen organ there. And she wanted to play the organ. And I think she sat at the organ and played it a couple of times, but not for, not for the congregation. But she was an amazing woman. And uh, she didn't let... She didn't let the loss of an ability to keep her from doing what, what she could do. She could cook. Uh, they had a garden. They lived in, they lived in Surrey. And uh, they had a garden. Her, her husband planted a garden, a good-sized garden. And he, he, uh, he had a rope, a clothesline rope that he had stretched from, 
from the, the house, the porch that they lived on, and she would follow that rope out to the garden, and, and she could tell by what she was touching, you know, whether it was corn or what, and she could tell if it was ripe to pick and all kinds of stuff, you know. She was an amazing person. She didn't let uh, something that God took from her for some reason keep her from doing what else she could do. And, and truth, the truth is, uh, she, learned to, to, she learned to read Braille, and she was an avid reader, and, but she uh, read Braille, and she could write. She had a Braille typewriter that she wrote. And, uh, and, she, would, and she would tell me every once in a while, she'd say, you know, God took my eyesight from me, but you know, he gave me other abilities and greater capacity that, that I, could, I could function. And she didn't stop serving God just because, just because she lost some ability. Uh, God made up for those abilities uh, in her life. And he'll do the same thing for us if we will allow him. All right. Extenuating circumstances. Well, uh, how may... Uh, he, uh, he may be in a state of depression over that loss. And if you know somebody like that, Help him to calm down and place his life in Jesus Christ, in Christ's hand, and move, and move ahead to the next tr on a new track. Comfort him with principles of Christian philosophy that are found in Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 25, particularly in that chapter. Otherwise, despair might overwhelm him. And uh, I, I, uh, I mark some things in, in Matthew chapter 6 that are, that are particularly a blessing. Do you realize that there are several times in the last part of Matthew chapter 6 that, that Jesus says, take no thought? And he says, which, which of you by taking thought can add a cubit? Why take ye thought for raiment? Take ye no thought. And then in verse 33, kind of summarizes the whole thing. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. If we seek God first, and by the way, there's another time in verse 34, it says, take therefore no thought. Don't worry about these things. Don't even think about them. God will provide. I like what David said one time. He said, you know, I was once young, now I'm old. But I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. When I retired, that verse became very precious to me. And I thought of it over and over and over again. Uh, we didn't have much to retire on, but you know what? We've been retired now for seven years. And we retired in 14. And, uh, and God's provided for us. Uh, I have more to eat than I need. <laughs> Look at the scales with me every morning when I step on it. You can tell that. I have more to eat than I need. I have a food. I have a home. I have a precious wife. You know, I've got everything I need. And God just keeps providing. He just keeps providing. Just keeps providing. It was kind of scary to, to retire. It really was. Uh, I, I went through a time when, uh, and I think I mentioned this before, that, you know, it, it was very scary for me to say, okay, I'm retiring. I know I had to. Uh, God made it very clear to me I needed to at least step down from pastoring. I had to do that because God, God made it clear that I had to do that. 
And uh, I said, okay, God, I'm just going to trust you. And we have, thank God for that. So there is these extenuating circumstances. In all of these situations, the problem is that the person has given up. The Word of God speaks clearly about the matter of throwing in the towel and quitting. And these three problems, discouragement, depression, and despair, may all be met successfully by a careful application of the Scriptures. For example, in the second letter that Paul wrote to the believers there at Corinth, he had been speaking, he had been speaking uh, to them in that epistle of the fact that the Israelites had, had uh, turned their back on the Lord. And uh, he was burdened with that fact. And most of his fellow Israelites, according to the flesh, he said, had refused to accept Messiah as their Savior. That's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And even though their refusal was disheartening to Paul, who, uh, if it were possible, would have taken their place in hell just to save them. He says this, and uh, this is in chapter 4 and verse 1. He says, Therefore, seeing ye have this ministry, uh, as we have received mercy, we faint not. Paul says, I'm not giving up. I will not give up. The Greek word there for faint is a word which literally means to give in to circumstances, to cease doing something, to give up. And sometimes the word even has the connotation of giving up as a coward. Paul said, I'm not a coward. God's called me to a ministry. He's called me to a life. And, and Paul says, I refuse to give up. He not only said that one time in that chapter, but he says it twice in that chapter. Um, and then uh, as you read, uh, it was in verse, again in verse 16, as you read through that chapter, and, uh, and also in uh, other chapters, uh, in chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, and chapter 11, verses 21 through 28, you read all of those things that Paul had suffered. I'm not going to take the time to read those. Uh, you can read those, if you will. Uh, but you remember, Paul said, I've suffered shipwreck, uh, imprisonment, I've been beaten, I've been put in prison, I've, uh, I've gone through all of this, but I'm not giving up. Man, what a spirit. And he never did give up. And um, so, also in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says this, he said, we're troubled on every side and yet not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're cast down, but we're not destroyed. What an attitude. Affliction came, but Paul was not Christ. He was perplexed, but he hadn't give, wasn't given to despair. He was persecuted, but he, he was not deserted. He was struck down, but he wasn't destroyed. And so what a, what a, what a wonderful spirit. And the truth is, if you, go, if you go back to chapter 4, excuse me, and verse 1, you'll find out why. Uh, he was preserved out of a gratitude. He, he, he persevered out of a gratitude, out of gratitude because he said he received mercy from God. Uh, you know, mercy is something that God gives to us not because, uh, not the, because we deserve it, 
Um, grace is uh, God, giving, uh, God giving to us. Mercy is God withholding from us that which we deserve. Uh, under grace, he gives us what we don't deserve. Under mercy, he, he preserves us from what we do deserve. And Paul realized that he, he didn't deserve what God had given him, but uh, that wasn't, <clears throat> um, uh, but God had been merciful to him and preserving him from what he deserved. And so he was going to continue to serve God through it all, through it all. What a wonderful attitude. All right, uh, I'm skipping over some of this. Um, well, actually, I've skipped over enough to come to the conclusion. We're almost done here. A few minutes early. <laughs> that won't hurt anything, will it? So here's the conclusion. While much more could be said about the trilogy of issues, we have to rem remember that older people are not fundamentally different than younger ones. Essentially, their problems are identical. Problems may take on different colors and shapes in our old age, and uh, they may carry greater temptations uh, that society will too willingly, uh, are all too willingly to acknowledge as valid excuses for giving up. You know, the world, um, the world would say to some of us as well, you know, you, it's okay for you to give up. Uh, you've paid your dues. You can sit down and quit, but that's not God's perspective of it. That's the world's perspective, but it's not God's perspective. It's not what God wants for us to do. And um, at the end of the day, the temptations are not really all that different. It's not necessarily true either that in old age we have less capability. We're less capable of handling difficulties uh, that, we, that, that we've been used to. If anything, a Christian who had been doing so for as many years as we have uh, will find it easier to understand how to handle difficulties and will easily be able to plan biblical strategies to deal with them. However, if we have not been handling problems well throughout the years as we approach, approach old age, uh, we may have difficulty. In fact, we may need to alter our lifestyle, and that will require, in many instances, the encouragement of a godly pastor and the instructions from Scripture. And uh, never get old enough where you think that you can't approach a godly person, a pastor, or another godly friend or somebody, and seek their help. I think many times we get to the place in our old age where, uh, where you know, we, we might be embarrassed to go to someone and admit that we need some help. And so we don't seek the help that we have. But I like what uh, Paul wrote to the Galatians. In chapter 6 and verse 1, he says this, Brethren, he said, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. And that's good advice. I hope we never get to the place where if we need help with something, if we get to a state of depression or despair 
or discouragement, that uh, we'll seek out some good friend, a pastor maybe, or a deacon, or somebody in the church that you love and trust and you know they love you, and go to them and say, you know, would you pray with me? Um, I, need, I need some strength. I, I, need, I need your help to get through this situation that I'm facing uh, in these days of my life. And uh, I know a number of people that would be wonderful, wonderfully helpful and would count it an honor and a joy to be able to assist somebody, uh, maybe their age, to, to help them in that way. Our Father, we thank you so much for the encouragement from the Word of God. And Lord, I do pray that you will help us to seek that advice that's found in the sixth chapter of the book of Matthew to uh, not to be concerned about trivial things, uh, to take no thought about uh, what's going to happen in the future, where we're going to get our food or our clothing or, or how things are going to turn out in life. But Lord, I pray that we might be focused first on Thee, that we might seek first God, You, and, uh, and receive your help and your strength, we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened. And we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.